Ace unbeaten, top of the table, three successive clean sheets. That light at the end of the tunnel is starting to get brighter and brighter for Norwich City fans, isn't it? Thankfully, given a bit of a silver lining to lockdown at the moment, some smiles at least, even though you guys are all having to watch it from home. I, and I was with you this weekend as well, having to watch from iFollow. But the man alongside me, well, digitally at least, via video call, Paddy Davitt was up at the Riverside Stadium this weekend. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. You can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM. And we're looking back on that 1-0 win at Middlesbrough, which has sent Norwich to the top of the table. Pad, a long old day for you doing all the driving on your own. But the way things are going at the moment, at least it, you're, you're able to travel home with, with a smile on your face. Oh, yeah, all day long, Dave. Yeah, that would have been a very different journey, probably, if it had gone the other way. And... Uh... As it turned out, it was a good day. Yeah, a good day for all concerned, certainly for Norwich. Um, I think my mind goes back to when we had that chat on Friday afternoon on our preview show. Um, and we basically said, well, that could be a statement of intent if they were to go to Borough, given all the backdrop of Daniel Farker outlining his concerns about the international contingent and the exertions that a lot of them had, had undergone over the previous two weeks, allied to you going to a team who've conceded once in seven games, unbeaten in seven, Neil Warnock, manager in a month on the rise, didn't didn't fill you fill you with a lot of confidence. So to come back down the A1 as it was with a, a another clean sheet and a win, eight unbeaten, as Daniel himself said, he, he said it best, a massive win and the sort of win that makes you think they're on the right track and the sort of win where you look back maybe if, if everything's gone to plan in May and you're back in the Premier League and what were the key points? You know, funny enough, just pops into my head that two years ago, the title winning season, that one of the landmark wins was the Middlesbrough win, wasn't it? At home where Pookie got pushed into the striker's role on yeah. his own. That followed an international break as well. I think it was the September one on that occasion. And that felt like a bit of a watershed moment in terms of the context of what they went on to do. So, obviously, we won't know that for a few months yet, but you may well look back at a, a hard-fought 1-0 away win at Middlesbrough in, in late November as a, as a real sort of breakthrough moment. Let's, let's all hope that is the case because, uh, you know, they can't do much more than what they're doing at the minute. Uh, I mean, a few more goals would be nice and we've been a bit picky in terms of uh, offensively, but... Uh, what character again? And um, it's full credit to Daniel and his players that they could go there with all, in theory, cards stacked against them and yet still prevail and find a way to win. And that, for me, 12, 13 games in is the, the shining beacon with Norwich's season. They find a way. They don't always play at the top of their game. By no means were they at their best yesterday. Um, yet they found a way to grind out a result. And that's a great attribute to have because you hope as maybe the injuries start to clear, as there becomes a bit more, even more cohesion and familiarity with the new players who came in in the summer, that the, the almost the embellishments to, to the to the way they're going about games will come and they will start to score more goals and things will be a little bit easier in terms of how they garner points. But right here, right now, they're doing everything and probably more than we could ask. 
Absolutely. Right. Well, we're going to bring you a bit of Neil Warnock, nice and early in the pod. Um, went on one of his typical rants. You know, Neil doesn't do losing in <laughs> in a good way, does he? Uh, we're also going to bring in Chris Lakey later in the pod to have a bit of a catch up on how Kings Lynn are doing because they're doing well, got a, a good result on Saturday and they've got a Norwich goalkeeper in, uh, doing well for them as well in, in Archie Mayer. So, um, yeah, we're bringing in Chris. But let's kick off with a little bit of moaning Neil Warnock. Neil, in all your years of football, have you ever seen or had a penalty, you know, real doubt No, not really, not really. Um, but that's that's how it goes, isn't it, sometimes? If you slip, we've had a few lads slip today. Have to blame the groundsman. Have to give him a rollicking. Game of two penalties. When I don't think Marcus had a shot to save today against a, a really good side, uh, which makes it more disappointing, really. You've obviously lost the game, but you must be so pleased with the fact that you've restricted pretty much nothing from open play. Yeah, you need a bit of luck. You know, when, when Sam goes past that kid on the far side with 10 minutes to go, and he doesn't send him off for a second booking, that was worse than his booking, that. And then to say to me after the game, he didn't think Sam was going to catch the ball and the ball's only going to go 10 yards maximum when you look at it back, 15 yards at the most, and Sam's going to be through. So what, what, why is he telling me he didn't think he could catch it? Because he knows he's completely wrong. Like the fourth official, like the linesman, they all know he should have got sent off. So why, are we, why, are we, you know, why haven't we got officials that know what they're doing? I think it's a disgrace today, me, that. Do you think it was one of them where if it had been his first defence, he'd have got the boot? If what? If it had been his first defence, he'd have got the boot. Do you think, you know, if you had more, you'd have to ask him for that. I wish you could speak to him. Because when he tells me that Sam's not going to catch it, and you look at the video and it's going to go 10 yards past him, one cut of grass, that's all. And then he's got about three more cuts of grass before he gets in the box. So why is he saying that? If he believes that, is he lying or what? Is he telling a lie or what? Or did he actually see? Did he actually think that? You know, I'd like to know. I'd like to know these questions. I'll have to write now and ask. You know, is he lying or did he see that? And ask, ask the referee's chief. Then it'll come back that, no, we should have sent him off. What good's that to me? What, and I thought he had a decent game today. So how do I mark him? How do I give him a mark today? That's probably best I've seen him referee that. I've had some nightmares with him. But that's, that's as good as I've seen him referee but I thought he got it completely wrong there, you know. We're talking about a lad stopping him have a free kick. Uh, we're taking a quick free kick down the bottom in the goal mouth and the kid picks it up, runs around, keeps it to his chest, then throws it away and he goes across to him and warns him. Next time it's a booking. Four minutes to go. You've got to book him and then he'll know not to do it again. What is he going to do next time? Exactly the same. It, it, honestly, the laws of the game and the people that are running it now, Mike Riley, crikey. That were like Mike Riley part mark too, that today watching him could probably end up running the referees association this guy anything else lads you got enough there haven't you <laughs> right so pad uh, now I, I presumed that he was going to go off the deep end about the penalty but it, it's more jacob Sorensen not getting a second yellow which he, he seemed to focus on and to me that all just comes across as as bitter and as being a bad loser, as inventing, you know, and and given that Neil Warnock is renowned for being a qualified referee as well, I'm I'm surprised to see him be quite so strident on it. But the penalty, the Tavernier disallowed penalty, which this game sort of turned on, I, I've watched 
a lot of replays on that now. I've watched it over and over again, and I'm still not convinced he hits it twice. What What did you think in the in the ground? Well, I mean, I was a bit bemused by it all. I mean, uh, you know yourself, Dave. But anybody who isn't aware, the media are situated literally the final row of a very, very high main stand. So. Um, I wouldn't like to calculate how far away I was from the incident in real time, but but certainly uh, far far in excess of where the referee was, and he's he's perfectly positioned. He clearly has seen a double touch from where we were. It was all a bit confusing. The ball gets rolled in from Tavernier straight down the middle. Tim Krul jumps to his right. Um, you're expecting Norwich to be restarting, and and my initial thought was, well, was there some sort of encroachment or whatever? Um, as to why you know the, the goal has been disallowed, but it, it swiftly became apparent that it was uh, it was actually where the play restarted. That it was, you know, dare we say a, a bit of a teamy pooky moment if we go back to Derby. But of course, it is his effort skied over the bar, so um, that didn't even go in. But uh, uh, yeah, I can't remember. I mean, obviously, when we saw the one against Derby, we we immediately thought about the David Beckham incident, but. But both of those were missed. I can't. I can't recall a penalty scored in that fashion. Certainly in, in Norwich, um, time covering the club, that was chalked off in that way. So as Daniel said when when he was asked for his opinion after the game, it's just another more one more bizarre episode in a very bizarre period that football's going through at the minute. <laughs> Norwich, um, and, and it was almost just a shrug of the shoulders that uh, well, we should be surprised, but maybe we we shouldn't be surprised, but. Um, Huge slice of luck for Norwich, and and conversely, really bad slice of luck for for Burrow. And as as he went off on one Neil Warnock, it, there was a little backhanded slap towards the groundsman, who apparently was going to get it with both barrels. And actually, having heard those comments from Warnock, I'm led to believe by one of the Norwich officials who saw it with their own eyes that he was actually berating the groundsman apparently uh, after the game. So uh, because his point clearly would be that. Uh, had he overwatered the pitch. I mean, it was quite a mild afternoon up in Teesside. There wasn't really any of the rain. I think the rest of the country seemed to get up. I came back through sort of the Wisbeach, Cambridge area, and it, it looked like there'd been a bit of a downpour. I don't know what it was like here in Norfolk yesterday, mate. But uh, up, up there, it, it, it was no real rains. Fall, so the, the, the grounds must have got busy reading between the lines with the watering of the pitch. And uh, as Neil said, there was a few of his players slipping. So he was less than impressed with that. But you know that that's a bit more of a flippant aside. Where, where he was definitely not joking was yeah the Sorensen incident, which you know for me that's kind of Warnock's mo. You know you, you've seen him in those documentaries down the years, and and he, it's almost like he needs an enemy. He needs somebody to rail against so that him and his team can have this siege mentality, and it's worked for him. If you look at his career, eight promotions on his CV, as good as any manager ever in English football. Um, it's almost that us against them kind of thing, and. And maybe he's he's come out and and I don't I don't get the sense given how experienced he is he does anything off the cuff he's maybe gone down that route because it's about the next game or the next time they have that referee and 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 it's one of them where he he wanted to to make more of an issue than I think was there I mean ultimately as Daniel said um, when he was asked for his take on that whole Warnock rant. Um, well, ultimately, you know, there was very few minutes left in the game. Uh, Norwich would have had 10 men and, and he'd have been confident they'd have seen it out. So, uh, you know, to extrapolate, as Warnock was trying to do, that that was a game-changing incident. And if they'd gone down to 10 men and Middlesbrough would have got back on level terms, I don't think so necessarily. That follows suit. Tim Krul didn't really, even when Borough were having a go in the second 
final quarter of the game. I don't, I don't recall Tim Krull really having to produce any top draw saves. It was just a very resolute performance in front of him. You know, the likes of Grant Hanley, particularly throwing their bodies on the line. It is just gold, you know, and it's just three minutes of gold. And I'm sure he'll be getting a tap on the shoulder from the uh, the, the bodies that matter, i.e. The, the FA probably, because uh, it was pretty near the knuckle stuff in terms of his opinion of that referee. Although he did actually, in the middle of that rant, say it was the best he'd ever seen him referee because he's had some nightmares against him. So uh, <laughs> there, was a bit of a, there was a bit of a give with one hand and take with the other in, in terms of the whole rant. But um, yeah, in the context of the game, Misses the point for me. I don't. I don't, I don't think that one incident, uh, even if it had resulted in Jakob Sorensen getting a yellow card, a second yellow to, to to be sent off, would it have changed the outcome of the game? Not for me. I don't think. I think Borough were huffing and puffing, but not really uh, threatening to to get back on level terms. But from a Norwich perspective, it's quite amusing. So um, you know, we'll we'll take it for what it is, won't we? Yeah, I saw some people saying that uh, Norwich had Warnocked Warnock. <laughs> and, and like you say, it's it's not um, off the cuff. It is purposeful because there's that little comment at the end, isn't there? Have you have you got enough there, lads? <laughs> Before he disappears off. So, yeah, I thought he's, he's gone in gone in hard on that. It's just, um, yeah, it's, it's him having a good, good vent, isn't it? But the, the game as a whole, I, I thought it was sort of similar to the Swansea game before the break in a lot of ways in that it was two good teams and two pretty well-organised, solid teams as well. And, and for Norwich to come out on top of that almost feels a bit disconcerting for Norwich fans. And after all the sort of swashbuckling fun of, of the Farker uh, promotion season two years ago, that to be grinding out results like this at this stage is is great. And as brilliant as Dale Fry was for Borough in defence, he just seemed to be the main man stopping Norwich all the time. Grant Hanley, again, was was so good, wasn't he? And I gave him man of the, man of the match in, in my video verdict and, and our, our man of the match poll, which gets has got over 1,500 votes. He's, he's sort of overwhelmingly won that one. I see the club's one keeps seeming to be sort of hijacked by Tottenham fans, doesn't it? And, and Oliver oh. Skip keeps winning it. So, um, you know, if you want the real man of the match, I, I think Grant Ham is the one. So, yeah, how, how impressed are you with his form and, and the fact that he, you know, he, he had a hamstring worry during the break, didn't he? He did, yeah. And to the extent where he couldn't join up with Scotland for what was successfully probably their biggest game in many a year. He must have been desperate having missed out through various injuries now in the last 12, 18 months. Um, and we know, you know, you've spoken to him at length. Um, I've spoken to him. You know, Scotland is a big thing for him to play play for his country. So that that tells you that there must have been genuine concern that he would, wasn't released because we wasn't talking there about one or two meaningless friendlies. That was, a, as I say, probably their biggest game in 20 years um, and successfully came through against Serbia. And now he must be thinking he's got the carrot of whatever happens domestically with his club between now and May. What an incentive to maintain his current levels of form to get in that Scotland squad to then go off to the European Championships. Um, probably a once-in-a-career opportunity for that man. So... Yeah, it just underlined for me yesterday that he is vital to that Norwich back line now, not in terms of his own performance, but the impact that he has on the others, the budding relationship he's building there with Ben Gibson alongside him. Um, he's just a focal point. I mean, he's the captain, he wears the armband, but he is a leader as well, and uh, and he's so important. If 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 you can just keep him fit, and that's, that's the only imponderable with him, I think ability-wise, you know, he should be as good as anything in the Championship in his position because he's got that pedigree. You know, Newcastle wouldn't have paid five million, I think it was, for him. Didn't quite work out for him on on Tyneside, but 
you know, that's the top level of player that, that Norwich have got if they can keep him fit. And we've seen, you know, there was a sustained spell last season. I thought he was probably his best in the Norwich shirt. Why? Because he had a clear run of injuries and he was able to play consistently week in, week out. We've started to see that this season. Then he's had this slight issue, but thankfully, because it fell in an international break, it didn't mean he missed any Norwich games. You just have to pray and hope that, particularly now in this period where they're going into sort of 10 games, I think it is now between now and sort of the turn of the year and just the other side, that keep him fit. I know Zimmerman's there and he's back in the mix, but ultimately, I think Grant Hanley is probably the of the three options. He's your, he's your standout centre back and it's who plays alongside him for me now. And, uh, Never more was that underlined than yesterday. In a game where, as I said at the start, by no means did Norwich play at their optimum, but they found a way. And when they had to dig in, and when Borough were very aggressive in their pressing, it was Grant Hanley, more often than not, who was there, either making the interceptions or cajoling those around him. And, uh, yeah, it, I think it just proves that he is he is the main man now in terms of that defensive unit. Yeah, he's really sort of filling that captain's armband, isn't he? Weirdly enough, I don't know why I stumbled across this or, or how I did, but I ended up um, seeing a, a video from three years ago when he signed of me and you doing a Facebook Live from in the office. Remember when we were allowed to sit near each other in, in the office? Um, before, before all this COVID stuff. Um, and it was after hand inside and we were just you know doing a quick sort of five, 10 minute Facebook live. And I thought, I just quit. I hit play on it while I was getting on with stuff. And I was like, I wonder what we said when Hanley signed. And we were talking about some quotes from Paul Lambert, which was before he'd become Ipswich manager, of course, and, and we could no longer speak his name, um, And where Lambert had described him as a colossus for, for Blackburn. So that sort of has been fulfilled, isn't it? That, that sort of a performance and some of the performances we've seen this year, he is sort of living up to that kind of description. So um, that's great. And I thought he made a made a real impact. The penalty that Gibson conceded, I didn't really have any issues with that, to be honest. And Lucas Rutt was unfortunate because he'd made a brilliant block just before it, hadn't he? But but Gibson just sort of clipped to, to veneers and ankles. And I don't mean you'd really complain too much about that one. Um, but the Norwich penalty, to sort of bring it full circle... Um, you mentioned Pookie's miss against Derby and I've watched the replay again of, of, of this penalty and it's a very definite run up to the ball. He really looks like he's thought about where he's placing his feet. He's remembered that Derby penalty, hasn't he? He's made sure that it is absolutely textbook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can imagine, you can imagine, I mean, I, I don't, I don't recall, I don't think we've spoken to him really since that point, but it, I, I, that's probably the first time in his career that that has happened to him in terms of, you know, he's lost his footing at the crucial moment and skied it. And he must have been, I mean, and ultimately what happened, they went on and got beat. Wayne Rooney slots that free kick. So I doubt he would have slept too well that night, the Derby weekend. And uh, you can be sure the next penalty Norwich were going to get, he was going to be absolutely zero focused. And uh, you can imagine, as you rightly say, that DF, I, I, I'd have to go back and compare the two. But if it looks like it's a bit more of a, deliberate kind of approach to the ball yesterday than we saw against Derby. You know, it has he actually gone away and worked on that maybe technique in Co at Colney that even if there's a bit of giving in the turf, particularly this time of year, of course, you know, where you'd expect even these pristine pitches you get at the elite end of the game that that, that it's robust enough. And I thought it was almost a kind of not quite the Bruno Fernandes waiting for the keeper to order Eden Hazard used to do for Chelsea, but he was very clearly approaching the ball. And then when Bettinelli almost made his mind up for him, he just slotted it. Um, but there wasn't much margin for error. If you look where that ball nestles, it didn't clear the inside of the post by too much. It was right in the bottom corner. 
Um, so, I mean, even if Bettinelli had gone that way, I don't think he'd have got it. It was a very cool penalty. And, uh, yeah, uh, well, it'll be interesting the next one Tavernier takes for Middlesbrough, won't it, whether he uh, decides to adopt a slightly different uh, pre-shot pre routine. But, um, yeah, and and I think, you know, broadly, more broadly with Pukki, obviously we know he didn't start the game yesterday. Jordan Hugel started because of those fears Daniel Farker had expressed about the, the load on his international players and none more so than the GOAT, given, you know, how crucial he is to Finland. Um, and, of course, midweek they come off the back of playing Wales. They get a man sent off after 12 minutes. He's obviously having to work even harder, you would have thought, in that particular game. Played the full 90. I think he came off in stoppage time. Um, but that's now six in nine, I think, for club and country. And, you know, I've been quite open on a lot of these forums we've done that I thought maybe he's gone over the other side in terms of his career and you know you look at post sort of that foot injury at Leicester he wasn't quite the same player but boy oh boy give him his due he's definitely hit a vein of form now um, and maybe it was just confidence maybe he just needed a little bit of a breather over, over that abbreviated summer period for, for the physical side of it but maybe it was more about the mental side and now he's got himself off and running again you can see just his demeanour on the pitch how he how he's moving and how he's interacting with the players and then how he's getting himself in shooting chances and where in the Premier League era there was kind of get himself in the positions and there'd be just a lack of conviction I thought second half of the season and he'd snatch at a shot or he'd take a fraction too long and of course he's playing against better defenders then than he is now but whereas now there was two or three incidents before he scored the penalty where he's in a shooting position bang he's got shot away and and you talk about Dale Fry he made a fantastic block just he was about to pull the trigger from a Buendia pass as well, where he was central 16 yards out, you'd have thought he'd have definitely tested better in Ellie. Um, and maybe it just does boil down to confidence. Ultimately, uh, he didn't have a very happy second half of the season in the Premier League. That would have knocked his confidence in a huge way. Looks like he's come out of that period. Um, and much like the, the lads who were here last season as well, the, the collective, I don't think we're going to be talking too much now about hangovers and can they shed the sort of baggage that comes with a relegated team, it looks to me increasingly, and you know, you look at yesterday's result and more importantly performance, the corner has been turned and and now it's not the Norwich of relegation, it's the Norwich of can we get another promotion? Yeah, right. Let's bring in a bit of Daniel Farker and then when we come back, we're going to start turning attentions to the Stoke game on Tuesday night and I'm afraid we're going to have to have a bit of an injury count up because uh, they are really piling up. Yes, feels like a massive win for us. So uh, we went here to an unbelievable tough place, uh, Middlesbrough, and uh, their um, recent one says a lot about the size of the task. They were eight games unbeaten. I've conceded just one goal in the last seven games. Neil Warnock's are always so unbelievably difficult to, to, to beat and to break. And then to travel back under this circumstances, first game after international break, especially for us, is always uh, complicated there yeah, because so many uh, important players were, were away. Yeah. For example, Timo Pukki was not possible today for us, a key player, to, to start him today because he played 90 minutes in underload in, in his, um, for his national team at before two games. Anyhow, traveled back without sleeping, was arrived back in Norwich on Thursday. Uh, yesterday, we had to travel again. It was not possible to, to start him today. And the circumstances are difficult, yeah, because we had a small group just to train during these two weeks and also our injury situation is not the best. And in this circumstances to travel back from such a tough away ground with a, with a win with three points, with a clean sheet win, um, feels, uh, feels big and, and many compliments to the players. Obviously, their penalty, very bizarre, it um, played out that episode of the other experience as a coach. Hence, one of your sides. 
In terms of the, the score, it was obviously scores and then it's this allowed because he's double movement. Yes, we were playing football in bizarre times anyhow, so a away win in the full stadium would, would have felt massive anyhow. We had home games with late uh, goals anyhow and no one can, actually the stadium would explode in such a situation. Right now it feels a bit like even today, like, okay, it was a tactical game, a solid game anyhow and, and uh, yeah, we keep going. So yeah, we're playing in bizarre, uh, bizarre uh, time and yeah, penalty was also a bit, bit strange if I'm honest. Um, I watched just shortly back the two scenes. I think both penalties were a bit unnecessary, yeah, because in both situations the uh, offensive player was a bit on the escape uh, away from the goal. Uh, their player, but also Max, anyhow, was a bit unnecessary. But I think both penalties uh, were fair to be rewarded, anyhow. So because it was a bit clumsy, clumsy behavior, and I think. Uh, there were two penalties. Yeah, thank God they were not able to use their situation. We, uh, Timo Pukki had this, uh, kept us cool and, and finished and really, really ice cold. And it was, of course, important for us. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Right, so yes, Pat, before that bit of audio from, from Daniel, you mentioned Jordan Hugo. He, get the, he, got the, he gets the start at Middlesbrough, and he's one of three changes. Rupp and Gibson both come back in uh, for Zimmerman and, uh, and McLean, as we were kind of expecting. Didn't really work for Hugo, but partly that was because of a, of a shoulder knock, wasn't it? But Rupp also finishes with a hamstring concern. Going into this game, we've seen Mumba and Anida both ruled out for ten weeks by knee injuries. You know that's it's really piling up, isn't it? And and obviously Todd as well. Todd Campbell misses out on this one. I, I missed this until later in the day, but he did actually tweet just before the game, um, saying, "In football, you need an element of luck. I can't get any right now, but I'm trying all I can to be back as soon as possible. Come on, the boys today, big game." So. Um, you know, just the day before, Daniel said he was OK to play and then he has to drop out. So there's a lot for Daniel to weigh up at the moment, isn't there? There is. And, you know, it's kind of, again, we touched on it on Friday, pertinent that just after the EFL sort of ratify having nine subs and 20-person squad, Norwich basically go to Middlesbrough with Reese McAleers, 18-, 19-year-old Scottish midfielder plucked from the development setup, has to go on a bench alongside Daniel Barden as well, the young keeper who got his chance in the League Cup at, at Luton early in the season. Um, but ultimately, I don't think those two would be anywhere near it. If if those ones, the the longer-term ones, Hernandez, Byram, uh, Kieran Dowell, if they were available, and it is really beginning to start a bite. Have you Quintilla missed out again? That's five games he's missed now. And, um, and both him and Todd, actually... Uh, taking Daniel at face value, I've got these hip issues. And and that is a concern with Todd because, you know, I think it was a hip he had prior to the Brentford game, funnily enough, the one that Quintilla missed um, and he played that night, didn't look that effective and got hooked at half-time. And and he just, as he says there in that, in that social post, he just probably feels physically, he just can't get to a place where his body's able to be relied on. And that is a concern because, you know, they but with like Quintino, if they cut, if they cannot get these players patched up and fit and able to handle the workload in the championship, then you know it places even more stress on a Sorensen, for example, or in Campbell's position, maybe Puerta and, and Buendia on the other side. And uh, uh, you just fear, my fear is now that with the volume of games, it's so relentless um, that 
they can they can continue for a period of time, but there will come a point where, you know, it's almost, you know, Sorensen we saw yesterday could have, could have potentially got himself sent off. I think it's debatable, but if a second yellow had been produced, he's suspended for Stoke. And then what happens then? Who who lines up at left back at Stoke? It'd probably have to be Ben Gibson uh, with Zimmerman coming alongside Hanley. Then if heaven forbid one of those three central defenders uh, pulls up lame at Stoke, where do you go for Coventry next Saturday? It it's so close to being a very very big issue at the minute. It's it feels like it's just about manageable now with the existing resource they've got available and fit, but um. But every passing sort of almost pre-match press conference is a bit of a sharp intake of breath if Daniel announces there's uh, some more bad news and, you know, it's uh, it's going to be reshuffling again the resource. So what can he do? What can you do as head coach? I mean, we had this debate on Friday. I don't think it's really anything they're doing in training because they're probably not doing a lot of training. I mean, like they'll, they, they would have got back late yesterday. Today will be a warm down. Sunday will be a warm down recovery session. Um, Monday, a little bit of light work and then... Monday night, they'll probably have to head up to Stoke, won't they, um, for Saturday for Tuesday's game. So very difficult to, to put it down to anything other than just the sheer volume of, of stress on the players. Hence why we now have the ability, or the head coaches and managers have the ability to make nine changes. But um, big concern. And obviously, sat here at the minute, we don't know whether Hugo, Rupp and Cantwell are going to be available for Tuesday. We'll probably find out a little bit more on Monday when Daniel speaks to us again. But uh, you have to fear, certainly Hugel, I mean, the way he sort of pulled up and it was such an innocuous kind of spun out of a, a sort of a, trying to flick on a header from a throw-in and then literally went two further paces and then almost just grabbed his shoulder, went down, needed a bit of treatment. could see on the pitch he was taking a couple of paracetamol or painkillers, rejoined the fray, but then half-time he didn't reappear. And uh, if that is ligament damage, then... then there's an issue. We're, we're talking about left back. We're talking about centre back. But no Adam Eder for ten weeks. If Jordan Hugel's out, it is literally cotton wool for Timu Puki, isn't it? And that is that is the issue that there is momentum there now. They are on an upward curve, but it can swiftly change if they have injuries to key players. Yeah, and then you're looking at having to bring in uh, someone like Tyrese Onatoy um, from the under twenty threes. I presume that Josip Dermich and Moritz Leitner, well won't be brought back in, even if they can be brought back in, you, you would have thought it's very difficult for them to be reintegrated when they've basically been told to, to go away, haven't they? It's, it's, it's yeah. difficult for Farker to then turn around and say, oh, can you can you help us out, lads? I know I know, we've very publicly sort of left you out in the cold, but you, you couldn't come back into the squad and, and do a job, could you? I, I think those those bridges are, are very difficult to, to rebuild. And all this element of it is what makes it so strange to be sat here assessing Norwich sat top of the, the championship, uh, a point clear of Bournemouth after 12 games, unbeaten in eight, not conceded three, yet everyone's still got those nagging little worries. And, and I think partly as well, why why people aren't going to get too excited at this point as well. I've got the, the chart that I keep in front of me of sort of the comparison of points and of the previous promotion teams and, and the recent seasons, the only team which had more points at this stage was the Alex Neal team of 2016-17, who were top with 26 points at this stage. But they then went and lost six games in a row, didn't they? Whereas conversely, the title winners, of uh, Farkas title winners, had the fewest points at this stage. They had 18 and then went on that w- winning streak, didn't they? And, and shot to, to the top of the table. So as excited as everyone wants to be at this stage, it's, it's just a case of, 
almost biting your lip a little bit, isn't it? And not not getting too carried away because it's it's still at that early stage. But you know, when you look at the team that they, they could potentially be putting out at Stoke on Tuesday, um, I suppose the only thing you can really hope or, or cling to is that this is the same for everyone, isn't it? It's Stoke are dealing with the same. Every team in the division. This was the first of twelve games in six weeks. This is this is not normal. The comparative period from two years ago, Norwich played nine games in that six weeks. So this is going to push these players right to the, to the um, to, to their limits. And and I think it's going to get to the point where Daniel is, is going to have to rotate, whether he likes it or not, isn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, well, Dan, yeah, exactly. That's the key. Um, I mean, he's a, that's what's always thrown at these head coaches and managers over a Christmas period, which is, you know, a week, 10 days of four or five games. Well, you're kind of basically now in an elongated Christmas period. So if if those are the sort of questions that get thrown at coaches over that period, then, yeah, it's entirely understandable that, you know, they will have to give some serious consideration. But it is a balance like yesterday. I mean, he, he just physically couldn't start Timu Puki. Yet 45 minutes in, Hugel's pulled up late. He has to throw him in. Um even if he probably wanted to left him on the bench, if everything had gone to plan and Hugo's played in a, in a winning performance, we wouldn't have seen Timu Puki. So he might have ideas in his head that he wants to do that, but ultimately you, you're buffeted by events, aren't you? And uh, whether that's injuries during a game or not, no players available prior to the game, then it is what it is. But I mean, in terms of getting carried away, I've just had a look at the league table. They go to Stoke who are seventh at the minute. They're separated by three points. That's Norwich, top, Stoke, seventh. Three points separates the whole of those clubs. Um, it's far too early, really, I think, at the moment. To, it's nice. It's nice to be obviously looking down on the rest. But, uh, yeah, given the volume of games, you know, you don't pick up probably, I don't know, four points in every batch of two games and you, you're probably going to start losing ground. So they have to just continue on this vein. And um, that's why it is pleasing that when they're not playing particularly well, I don't feel in all facets of what we know they're capable of, but certainly offensively, they can still not just even grind out draws, as Borough were doing, to be fair. Uh, had a lot of draws in that run of unbeaten games, but they're actually managing, as they did against Swansea, as they did against Middlesbrough on Saturday, to, to win these games. And it might be, I mean, I'm increasingly coming to the thought that because you feel, well, they've almost put in the, the solid foundations in place and then they'll add the the embellishments and the attacking play and the goals and the thrills that we associated with a Farker team two years ago. It might might well be this is it now. This is the way they have to go about the task because because of the injury issues, because of the congested nature of the season and so many games. As Daniel said before the international break, it's, it's player workload it concerns him, but it's also the quality of the product because players cannot be expected to turn in champagne football every three days because it's just it's just not possible physically or mentally. Um, it's asking too much of these players. So are we basically now maybe having to accept that this season it's going to be more of a roll your sleeves up and, and grind and grit your teeth than sweeping teams away with free-flowing football? We'll see probably elements of that, I'm sure, as we move forward. But this may be, rather than this is a phase and, and we'll get to the good stuff later on, this may be where we are now with Norwich. And if they're going to get to the end goal, which is back into the Premier League, it might have to be a bit more blue collar than maybe white collar. 
Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's a nice phrase. Um, and and Stoke coming into Tuesday in, in good shape as well. They they beat Reading three nil away from home before the break, and then Huddersfield four three at home um, on uh, Saturday. Looks like they won't be uh, having Angus Gunning goal though. Who uh, wonderful time. I interviewed him on Tuesday, and they they knew he had a little ankle knock, um, but they hoped it wasn't too bad. Then it turns out a couple of days later, it's worse than they thought. And he may now be looking at a, a spell out. So um, Angus Gunn, unlikely to be in goal against Norwich on Tuesday night, which would have been the first time that he faced them. But if you missed that interview, he did. Uh, I did ask him whether he'd be interested in coming back to Norwich if the opportunity arose at some point in his career. And he, he certainly didn't rule it out, although he's, he's obviously got to be a bit careful about how he how he words it. But he, I think he said, uh, it's funny how these things work out sometimes and just sort of let the thought trail off. So who knows? That would... Uh, That'd be a nice story if it ever came round in a couple of years. But as long as Tim Krull's here, I think Norwich fans are going to be are going to be happy. Right, let's bring in Chris Lakey then, who was at the Walks on Saturday to see Kings in continue their. Well, they're having a great time of it at the moment, and they've got a big FA Cup tie coming up. And um, how, mu- how much are you enjoying covering the Linnets at the moment, Chris? It's good. Uh, I mean, it's not good when they go to Sutton United and get absolutely thumped five-one. <laughs> but it's brilliant then when they go to Barnet, fantastic stadium, really nice, you know, um, and and win two-nil against a side that you know was in or a team a club that was in the football league not so long ago um and then saturday you i'm sure you chaps will remember andy hessenthaler yeah yeah um, uh, well gillingham legend dover athletic manager and i can tell you he's still the pitbull i think that was his nickname uh that he ever was he got sent off after the final whistle um i won't quote um ian burt the photographer did hear what he said to the referee I won't quote it, but um, it's red cardable. <laughs> but yeah, it's really good supporting them, uh, following them, supporting them. Um, and obviously next week, Portsmouth away, which the last time I was at Portsmouth, Ian Culverhouse was also there. And as were a lot of very noisy Norwich City fans, a great night. But um, sadly, won't be any of us or the same sort of crowd. But it's really good. It's, it's it, 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 Because they're in the National League for the first time, it's a new challenge. And... You know, I've been used to two or three seasons of them being really successful and and almost romping uh, through games. But, uh, you know, five defenders across the back yesterday. That's what he did at the start of the the Barnet game as well. Strong five across the back. We all know that that's either three defenders or five. You know, it depends how far forward your fullbacks can get. But it's a really different game. They they were actually under the cosh at Barnet. But yesterday they put Dover under the cosh. Um, so rather than sort of getting goals on the break, they had to pick their way through this um, red wall. Um, but it's great. It's really good. Really, really good seeing players adapt to a higher level of football. And frankly, it's really noticeable. I mean, Sutton United was superb. Barnet, I reckon next week Barnet would have been superb. It changes. There's so many weird results. Um, without any disrespect, and it will sound disrespectful, I think that's probably the, uh, I was going to say, worst team yesterday, Dover, that Lynn have faced this season. But that that is disrespectful. It's just that was they weren't as good as the others, should we say. Um, uh, and it reminded me a little bit of a game from last season uh, when, you know, teams put up sharp shop against Lynn because they're so good. 
But yeah, really brilliant, really, really good. If I'd love to know how many fans would be in for games. Well, yeah, yeah. I think fourteen hundred last season, seven hundred the season before was the average. Um, I think they'd easily top two thousand. Yeah, certainly for the big games. I mean, yeah. they'd have great following with them to, to Portsmouth next Saturday, wouldn't they? Um, oh, it would have been a... God, dearie me. Well, Paddy knows as well. You know, when they get going, those uh, Lynn fans, they do make rather loud noise. Including <laughs> <laughs> well, the bit next we, to me in the press box. <laughs> yeah. We've been to Barnet, haven't we, Pad? We went there a few years yeah. ago for that trophy game when uh, the bookies took a bit of a hammering because um, Norwich named... Murphy and stuff, didn't they? And, they? and the bookies hadn't tagged that Norwich had such a strong team out. And yeah. I think I think the odds were like Norwich were like nine to one or ten to one to win or something, wow. and then won five nil. So that was that was quite a fun night. But um, yeah, I mean, from the Norwich point of view, Chris, I'm Simon Power and, and Archie Mayer on loan there, and um, Mayer's the one who's been playing mainly, hasn't he, so far? What, what, what have you made of him? Still a young man, of course. Yeah, well, first off, Simon Power's been troubled with injuries. He's he's not played much, but he's got phenomenal pace and strength. Mm. His pace is ludicrous. Um, Archie Mayer, I've just written down the results. I mean, after three games, he conceded 10 goals. Um, it was 5-3, 2-3, 2-0, 5-0, 0-0. That's his, that's his goals conceded. It's <laughs> a lot of goals. Yeah, but, um, I mean, he he was on a bit of a hide into nothing because he had to take over from Alex Street, who's very popular around uh, these parts. Um, he's a very promising keeper, as we know, Scotland under-21 squad member. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, from a non-playing perspective, I think there was a lot of pressure on him uh, because of, of what happened with Alex Street, who's now left the club because Archie's uh, number one. But um, Ian Culverhouse, very keen to, to emphasise, he picks the team, not Norwich City. Um, uh, and, and he sort of kept faith with Archie Mayer. And you can see that it has improved. You can see he's not really made that many mistakes. I think it's Lynn coming to, to grips with the National League that, that's been the problem for conceding goals. Um, but the last couple of games, you can just, when you're a bit closer, no crowd, you can hear the interaction. And, uh, you know, he looks now he's settled with his defenders. Um, certainly, if he's not Rory McCauley, make sure he is. Uh, <laughs> the voice of the defence, should we say. But, yeah, he's he's done all right, I think. I like the look of him. It's a big lad. He's yeah. very uh, – I'm not – Saturday is the first time this season, and I have been looking for it, that he's actually miskicked the ball. Even under pressure, if he has to kick, he's kicking. He's superb. Um, and he's getting a lot more confident, big bruising defenders. I mean, in his what was it, his second game, he came up against Matt Reed, and you remember Matt Reed from uh, Lincoln City, bruiser, great player still. Um, and he's going to have to face a lot of people like that. These teams are big and strong. You know, a lot of players dwarf Kings Lynn. Um, but I think he's yeah, he's settling in well. Um, he's always just about always being watched by somebody from Norwich. I've seen Neil Adams a few times. Uh, Stuart Weber a couple of times as well, keeping an eye on him. Um, and he's got Paul Bastock as his goalkeeping coach, which isn't too bad because Baz is pretty decent. And uh, just recently, Jake Jessup, uh, formerly Lost, I think, Needham Market, various other teams, been helping him out as well. So that, that's good news. And Lynn will benefit from having him, no doubt. He's, he's a good talent for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Well, 
um, Lynn in the top half of the National League, so going well. That's great experience for Mayor, so um, good to see him playing properly. Um, Chris has, of course, been following Linus up and down the country and uh, live blogs and reports and everything. They're all at pinkham.com as well. So if you want to follow them in amongst your uh, Norwich City content, then, um, of course, you've got all those Norwich links. Ryan Jarvis, Culverhouse, Mayor, Powers, <laughs> loads of them. It's actually, I counted from yesterday's squad, seven of the starting lineup. Have Norwich really? City links and three of the bench you had. I'm going to bore you now. Archie <laughs> Mayer, Roy McCauley, Carl Callan McFadden made his debut. Uh, Sonny Carey, excellent young lad. Uh, Michael Clunan, Sam Kelly, and Jamal Loza. And on the bench, you had Cameron King, Adam Marriott, and of course, Simon Power. So <laughs> there's a, and, and, and as you just said, also, you've got Ian Culverhouse there as well. You've got Ryan Jarvis, who didn't play. Um, a growing influence and brilliant this season on the pitch and, and a growing influence, I think, on the coaching side as well. Um, and a very big influence, uh, link with Norris City there. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of... The others are just Northern boys. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> From yeah, places like Sheffield and Grimsby. So, it makes sense. That's, that's actually good, I think, that they have that local interest because fans, you know, it's, it's great to see one of your own, as it were. Yeah. Um, Carl Callum McFadden's... Uh, when he talks, he's not one of your own. He's very—he's from Ireland, but obviously brought up through the academy at uh, at Norwich. So, yeah, he's one of the youth cup winners, wasn't he? And yes, um, yeah. when when Norwich have a category one academy, it makes so much sense for Lynn to tap into that because a category one academy, for better or worse, there is a lot of turnover. There's a lot of lads who won't make it at Norwich, and that means that there's a lot of lads looking for a good non-league move. And if yeah. you know, with Lynn at the top of non-league at the moment. Um, well, not the top of the National League, but in the top half of the National League at the very mm. least. Um, it really does make sense for Ian Culverhouse to tap into that. So, yeah. yeah, by all means, keep an eye on the Linux. But just to, just to close the pod, Pat, if I just come back to you on, on the Stoke game, um, ahead of the Borough game, uh, one of our uh, followers on the on the Facebook live feed had said, would you accept two draws, hadn't they? And we both said, well, well definitely, because that would mean nine unbeaten. So they're, they've already got, um, they're already up on that. So, does that take the pressure off a bit at Stoke? Can you can you see them going and, and winning again? Well, you can't rule it out now. I mean, I thought of the two games yesterday, Saturday, Middlesbrough was going to be the tougher um, because of the whole backdrop to it. But they come through that test. As we touched on earlier in the pod, you know, it'll hinge a little bit on the injury bullet in these next 24, 48 hours. Um, you know, if you're without Rupp, for example, that would be a bit of a blow, I feel, going to Stoke. But... Um, Kenny McLean may, may think different if he was the next cab off the rank. Yeah, nothing to fear now. For, for me, any any trace of sort of trepidation or, or whether it was players who've been over this course and distance before, but were coming off the back of a relegation and all the baggage associated with that, or the new intake who didn't really know what the championship was about, throw Skip in there, throw Poheta in there particularly, two guys who were really knowing that first team and establishing themselves. That's gone. That's gone. They've gone. They've pretty much experienced everything they could experience in this league. You know, they've played a lot of the sides are going to be up there. You would think the Brentford, Swansea's, and our Boroughs, um, Bournemouth before that, uh, and and by and large, they've not really been found wanting. So, I think the confidence will be sky high. You know, you're going eight unbeaten to Stoke. You're almost getting to that stage where it doesn't matter who we play, we're good enough. We'll we'll put our stall out and we'll we'll come back with a point or three. So, yeah, I think. I think at the very least the point Tuesday night and uh, who knows, you know, don't rule them out now because as I say, 
on the basis of just what we saw on Saturday at Middlesbrough. They don't have to play at their best to get a result. And what a great trait that is. Uh, let's hope so. Whether it's Norwich or Kings in, any, any smiles are welcome at the moment because it's not an easy time in life, isn't it? But as I said at the top of the show, hopefully we can see that little bit of light at the end of the tunnel beyond Christmas. Right. Thank you very much, chaps. And um, thank you very much for listening to this week's pod. And um, we've already mentioned it a few times in previous weeks, but the sticker book is very much out there now. The stickers are widely available as well. Pinkandshop.co.uk is the place to go if you want to buy them online. But um, all good retailers in, in and around Norfolk and, and North Suffolk are, are selling them. So um, you shouldn't have a problem getting hold of them. But had a few nice comments through during the uh, during the live blog, uh, the matchday live blog at pinkand.com during the Borough game on Saturday. Uh, people saying that they are, how much they like the images and that they think there has been a bit of an upgrade on the first one. So I was very pleased to hear that because that's uh, exactly what we were aiming for. So if you haven't already, then, then do check that out and, and I hope you enjoy it but for now thank you very much for listening we'll bring you all the latest from the press conference on monday and then of course on to stoke on tuesday night